One out, nobody on. The payoff to Murphy. Left-hand batter, strike three call. To the knees and right down the middle of the plate. But down, Murphy. Some games go on for a long time. This one's still going on in my mind. And welcome to episode 11 of the Autobot Podcast. Uh, my name is Justin Vibber. I'm joined again, as always, by Chad Young and Niv Shaw. And uh, we're continuing our positional preview series with second base. Um, there's going to be a little bit of overlap we've, with the shortstop position we already covered, but we're going to uh, try to keep it as specific to second base as possible. But obviously, there's some overlap, especially given the fact that there's that middle infield position uh, in, in Autono team lineups. So, um, we are going to start, I guess we'll, we'll talk about the top tier, the, the studs. Um, I think my top second baseman is Altuve. Does anybody have, uh, an argument for that placement? I, is there another player you, know, you guys want to stump for? I started off by saying when I, when I was writing my notes for this, I started off by being like, no, nah, Altuve is not the top second baseman. I just don't think he's going to end up as the number one second baseman. And I, I believe that I don't think he'll end up. If I had to choose between Altuve and the field, I'm taking the field. I don't think he's a better than 50% shot to end up as the top second baseman. But then somebody asked me, okay, well, if it's not Altuve, who is it? I was like, yeah, uh, and then. <laughs> it could be Albies. It could be Muncie. Like, Muncie and McNeil are probably the next guys on the list for me. Um, yeah. It could be Albies. You know, LeMahieu had an incredible year last year. Maybe it's him. I, but, like, if I have to pick, if you're telling me, like, you have to pick one player. I, I guess it's Altuve. I think there's only like a 30 or 40% chance he actually ends up as the number one second baseman, maybe even lower than that. But like, there's no other player with a better chance. Yeah, he has the plurality, I think. Um, yeah, and, I agree. And Altuve is just... I mean, he's he's really good. He's really consistent. Uh, he's obviously... like The age curve is a concern. But, man... I mean, like you can take some guesses on some other guys, but I don't. I don't think if I had to put everything forward on who's going to have the most most productive season at second base, it's got to be Altuve for me. Like I, I just, I don't. It's clear cut. It's not even like yeah. You talk about the the age uh, curve being a concern. How old is Altuve? He's he's older than you think, right? Because he came up later. So. He's younger than I think. I feel like he should be old. I feel I feel like he should be like thirty three, and he's only thirty. Well, okay, I think he shouldn't be about thirty because he is about thirty. But like, he also feels like a guy <laughs> really, who's been around for a long time, right? And and um, but he he has been, but he came up at twenty one. I think that's the thing, yeah. and I think we're gonna see this. I think this is actually true for for. Like, it's true for him. It, I had the same issue with uh, Carlos Correa when we were talking about shortstop. That, like, these are guys who, like, I feel like they've been around. The Astros brought them up young. They brought they them up. such a lack of talent when those guys were coming <laughs> well, up. Well, I mean, like, they did that. There was nothing stopping them. They, and they did were that good rebuild, players. right? Yeah, they yeah. did that rebuild. And that rebuild, I think, it, that's, like, now the model or whatever. But, yeah, Altuve's been there a long time. And but I, I guess, like, the thing that's interesting about him is that he was good. And then all of a sudden he had, like, like contact rate that was ridiculous right like there was a there was a good and then there was an an up to superstar tier 
And now we're seeing maybe the fall off from superstar tier, but I don't think you should discount that to the point of saying that like there's another second baseman that you'd rather pick as being the most productive this year. No, and actually, as I as I as I, as I look more and more at Altuve, I think I'm, I'm also I think I'm stuck on his 2018, right? Um, where you know he had, so he had been. You talk about that that sort of progression he made, right? In his first four years in the league, his first couple of years in the league, he was just three years in the league. He was fine. He was nothing special. Right, he was also 21, exactly. 22, 23 years old. Um, then all of a sudden, he he started to put it together. And he put it together first, like you said, with that contact rate. And he had a 360 BAPIP. And he had um, only a 7.5% K percentage, a 5.1% walk percentage. And this sort of like low strikeout, high, high-ish walk relative to strikeouts anyways. Good contact profile started to develop. But he only had seven home runs. Then he also had 15. And then he had 24 and 24. Yeah. And then it dropped back down in 2018 to, to 13. And I think I, I'm anchoring on that year a bit where it's like, okay, he's back to being, you know, a guy who gets on base at a high clip, who puts the ball into play, who gets a number of extra base hits, but just doesn't have the power really. And then last year he had his best power season of his career. He had 31 home runs. His home run per fly ball rate jumped over 20%, up to 23.3%. Everyone so had like, the best power rate last totally. year, though, right? Like, so that's right, that, a little bit of a discount to that. Yeah. But it was, but he, I mean, and it wasn't actually, when you look at, you know, compared to the league, it wasn't the best year of his career. He was actually better in 2016 and 17 compared to the rest of the league. Right. But like, I, I think I'm, I think I, I think I got stuck on this idea. And I think this might go back to the idea that I thought he was older. I think he should be older than he is. He feels like he's been around a long time. If he had come up at 24, 25, or he'd be 33, 34 years old now instead of coming up at 21. And I think I got into this like, oh, 2018 is the start of a decline. Um, and right now, 2018 looks like an outlier. Yeah, I mean, right. I think that's right. Like you have a 16, 17, and a 19 that all show power, uh, if not, if not home runs. Uh, I mean, home runs in 2019, obviously, but uh, fewer, right? In the in those other years, so you said 24, 24, but but yeah, 2018. I mean, like, look, these like we always talk about. Or I guess there's like a more of a thinking about the age curve now, but age curve is a curve. It's not a cliff, right? And some guys do fall off a cliff, and uh, obviously you're wary of that. But Altuve's been really consistent, and like if you look at his uh, his offensive WAR or whatever, like whatever stat you want to use, like he he may not be like that super top tier 2016 Altuve anymore, but but you know the rest of the guys, like almost everyone else, becomes sort of a value play. <laughs> In, a, in, the, in the second base slot, right? Because Altuve is just sucking up all the oxygen compared to, like, I don't know what our next tiers are, right? Like Albies and Muncy, the guys we talked about. Yeah, I mean, I was going to bring up that if you look at last year, total points for, for second base only guys, um, or second base being their best eligibility, Albies was the top point scorer right. with a little over 1,000, and then LeMahieu was right behind him at 1,001 points. And then third was actually Whit Merrifield. Um, so, I mean, I, I the thing with me with Albies, though, is just that I just don't know. He, he's, he's almost like Tatis a little bit in my mind, where, where some of the um, performance has been a little bit inflated, I think, compared to what his true talent is. And he gets a bump because he plays a ton and he's a, he hits at the top of the lineup. So that helps. Um, but I just don't know if he's as good a hitter as he's shown in, in short stretches. So 
Um, it's hard for me to put him at number one, even though he just had the best second base season by total points. Yeah, he also, I mean, the thing that's interesting to me with him is his his projections from uh, from depth charts are higher than his others. So if you look at, you know, Fangraphs shows the bat, the bat X, ATC, and then steamer and zips, and depth charts, I believe, is still just a combination of steamer and zips. Um, steamer and zips are his two best projections. The other ones are lower on him, and they're not a lot lower. They're just like career average numbers instead of you know, something in between his, like, basically, Steamer and, and Zips are seem to be writing off his 2018. Right? As a rookie in 2017, he only played uh, about a third of a season, but he had a, a 347 Woba. In 2019, he had a 354. Sandwich in between those is a 324. Um, still, still a good season, but not, not at the same level. Um, and the bat and ATC seem to be going closer to his career average, whereas Steamer and Zip seem to be thinking uh, they're in between that 2017 rookie season and that 2019. Actually, Zips is above his 2019. Zips is projecting a yeah, career year. Yeah, they're projecting a career year, yeah. That seems, yeah, that mean, seems aggressive. <laughs> well, that's, again, it's an age curve situation, right? I mean, Albie is, is a kid, 23 years old. Like, that's... Um, I mean, I'm not going to say there's value to be found... In, in betting on an Ozzy Albies, like, 60-game, I mean, like, I, he, I, I don't have it off the top of my head. Do you know how much he's going for in new leagues? Uh, yeah, he is going for 27, basically. Right, and then I imagine Altuve is, is higher. Yeah, so Altuve's at about almost 32, Albies at 27, and then you've got Hira at 24, Muncie at 23, McNeil at 21, uh, LeMayhew at 20, Merrifield at 19. I think, I mean, other than Merrifield, who I'm not 100% sure is starting uh, for the Royals, but uh, other than him, I think like that pretty much sums up a good second tier below Altuve. Yeah, the right? other guy, and I, I stopped reading, but I should have gone one more because um, there's, there's a very clear break in the second base uh, average salaries. So the next guy on that list is Mike Moustakis at about $17, and then it drops all the way down to $11 with Eduardo Escobar. Yeah, I mean, Moose should be in that second tier, I think, too. But um, Merrifield, I believe, is starting. I think he's just a full-time outfielder now. Yeah, roster resource has him leading off and starting in right field. So yeah, although now I always said that's including. So they've added. That's with Franchi added to their with Franchi there. Yeah, just Franchi's there now, huh? Yeah, right. That's Franchi. They've got Soler DHing. They still have Alex Gordon. And he's going to play, it looks like, in left. Roster resources, Franchi in center and Merrifield in right. I mean, you know, I, I sort of expected um, roster resource also as Nicky Lopez as their second baseman. I, I sort of figured between uh, Lopez not necessarily being a great player, Hunter Dozier having some positional flexibility, Merrifield having some positional flexibility, that we'd see a lot of Brett Phillips and Bubba Starling to see if either of those guys could could capture anything. Um, yeah, my mistake was I looked at Nicky Lopez starting at second, and I forgot that Merrifield is an outfielder now. As I'm, as I'm looking at this, like it looks like it almost looks like what they're suggesting at Roster Resource is that Franchi and Michael Franco are going to be in a platoon. Where when Franchi's in, he plays center. Obviously, when Franco comes in, he's not playing center. So does he go to third and bump Dozier to right and Merrifield to center? Yeah. 
or Dozier to DH and Solarin, right? Maybe, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not really sure what to make of that, but that seems to be what they're suggesting. But I, I think Merrifield's going to play every day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And he's going to get a lot of value from being at the top of that lineup just because he's going to get a lot of plate appearances. Uh, he's just, he's another one of these guys who just like, I just don't love the skill set that Merrifield brings. And I, I, I never have, and I sort of have a blind spot for these guys. And, um, you know, talking about second baseman, Niv, and the, the, the team that you and I just took over, one of the guys on the roster is Luis Arise. And I wanted to bring up Arise at some point because that, but maybe we can, well, I mean, we just might as well, you mentioned him. Someone else will talk about him. He's like a, a high contact guy, right? People, uh, his BABIP is in the 350s, I think. He's not, he's not a low BABIP guy, but he's also not inflated, right? It's not like an insane number, but it's all contact, and it's, uh, it's, it's a fun player to watch in real life. Like, love watching his at-bats or whatever. Is he bringing enough to be in the second tier and in competitive auto new leagues i don't know if he's bringing enough power but like there could be a breakout there i mean he's he's youngish i don't know justin sounds like seems like maybe you want to stand for him a little or I mean, like, no <laughs> no no I oh it's not. the other way around you don't <laughs> you're you're skeptical like where arias to me he could be uh i mean like what people want to believe that he could hit 400 in a short season right like people really love the contact tool there i you're not yeah, saying I mean, and that's that's, but that's all he has, and he hasn't even shown that yet. I mean, and he's he's struck out twenty two percent of the time, right? And is in his how about basically? Are we talking about somebody different? Oh, we're talking. Oh, never mind. Ignore me. Ignore me. <laughs> I'm. I, it's like you think about you think about Arias. Yeah. 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 I, sure I, it was, was times. No. 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 Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was right. stuck in my head that we were talking about. Luis, Luis Urias, yeah, yeah, no, uh, no, no, no. I don't, we'll talk about him later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so Arise, I think you know we 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 talked about him because he's on our roster, and we're trying to figure out is he a perception that you can trade for value, or is he um, not really compelling, or is he actually that third option that we never consider, which is just worth playing at second base, <laughs> like right. I, it's yeah, just I, worth playing and. I'm starting to feel that maybe if you can find him at the right at a sort of a, a low price, like there could he could be a sleeper, I think. Um he's again three fifty ish Babip. If he gets on base a lot and you expect that twins line up to produce runs. Yeah, I mean I think I, I, I just I tend to struggle with those those low power high on base guys because i keep feeling like at some point the league's going to be like okay fine we're gonna we're gonna let you put the ball in play we're gonna stop walking you ever and you're just at some point you just can't rely on bapip and even if you do even if you can even if you're a a true talent 350 bapip kind of hitter uh there's so much variability in that number right if you're a true talent 35 home run guy you're gonna hit Maybe hit thirty, maybe hit forty, but you're gonna be somewhere in that range most of the and, time. And and the and just like in points in Roto, like that home run skill is more valuable yeah. than the getting on base skill. Like it's it's worth more. It's worth more points, it's worth more uh for your overall team's uh standings, right? Like it's yeah. just a better outcome. And so uh, yeah, and so a guy like Arise, a guy like uh to to a lesser extent Merrifield, Merrifield's got a little more power than Arise. Um 
they have a bad BAPIP year and they're, they're not going to be good, <laughs> right? I mean, it's like everything falls apart if they if they don't get the ball to hit the grass. Um, and that's just a hard skill to repeat. And so I, I tend to get a little nervous about them. And for me, when I look at, when I look at second base, um, you know, I think we've agreed Altuve is at the top, even if he's maybe not the most likely, you know, even if he's not uh, guaranteed to be there. But when I look at that next group, like I'm way more interested in um, Muncie or even Albies, um, probably McNeil, like guys who I think are, are more likely to have stronger repeatable skills than than what I see from a Merrifield. And then as we get down to that next tier and we start talking about where a guy like Luis Arise rolls in, um, again, like he falls into this. I, I was talking before about the the average salaries in first year leagues. There's that big cliff between Mustakis, uh, who we should also talk about, by the way, um, and the next group. That next group is like Eduardo Escobar, Kavan Biggio, uh, Lord Guriel, then Arise, Brandon Lowe, Ryan McMahon, Nick Solak, um, Tommy Edmond, Ian Happ. Those are all players who are between five and twelve dollars in in average salary. And you've got a couple of guys in there to rise. Uh, I mean, at that point, you're, start, you're starting to build a second base instead of having a second baseman, right? I yeah, that- but if I'm going to that group, the, I don't think a rise is the guy I want to gamble on. Now, we've, we've got him on this roster that we inherited, and, and I so far we haven't gotten a trade offer that makes me want to get rid of him either. Like, Yeah, I think we're going to... There's ha- still some potential there, so like, why not see what happens? I think we're going to have to run with him. Yeah, I think that's yeah. right. But-, but if I'm looking at who I'm going to bet on from that group, like... I'm more interested in betting on Biggio or Guriel or Solak or McMahon or Lowe who have that that power tool that is just so much more valuable and to me so much more repeatable. I much like I, to me it's it's bankable in a way that what a rise brings to the table just doesn't feel bankable. And I might be wrong about that. He, he may be maybe he's Tony Gwynn. Right? right. Like he, he he could be and and I think that you never want to bet on somebody being Tony Gwynn if you're if your only <laughs> no, outcome right. is right. Well, you're, makes you're getting you're getting four with Arias. I mean, that's that's what you're getting. If you want, if you're you know you're at a point in your auction and you need a second baseman and you just want to be able to have somebody in there that's not gonna that's not gonna kill you. I, I think he's a perfect guy for that. But if you're looking to mix and match and you want to have some high upside guys that that can really produce a bunch of surplus. I don't know if he's that guy unless you get him at such a low price that do you, do you, you know, really think you're getting floor with him? I mean I do, yeah. I think that that contact ability is elite. And and he's got the plate discipline that he's gonna have you know, he's gonna have that that average and on base component and then no slugging. And I don't think that it, even without that slugging, he already has those those skills, even if he if pitchers aren't afraid of of giving him pitches to hit. So yeah, I do. I think that's that might be it. It's a it's yeah. a really high floor, low ceiling combination to me. And where do you see a rise uh, batting in that lineup? Because I think well, that's, that's the other thing I was going to mention is that roster resource has him batting seventh, and that's not yeah, good. I mean that that hurts, good. especially in points leagues where where you really want to have more plate appearances per game per start that you're putting him in in your lineup. Um, batting seventh is is a lot less preferable than hitting first or second but they've got kepler and polanco at the top projected and i think that makes sense so that hurts him that he's he is hitting a little bit lower in that lineup so yeah that's that's a good point it's just a good lineup 
Yeah. It is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, it like, absolutely is. I, I like. I agree with you. It seems like it seems wrong for him to hit seventh, but then I look and it's like. We, we move I don't it, know. Right? Yeah. Maybe well, they got some. They got Sano hitting behind Arias. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's it's an interesting lineup. Yeah, I mean, I I think you, like you look at that lineup and like Cruz, Donaldson, Rosario being three, four, five, um, with Polanco somewhere in there too. Like that that two through five just makes sense. Um, as and long as you're like, Kepler you wanna... lead off, otherwise Kepler has to be in that group, right? And do you right. really want to bump? You're certainly not bumping Kepler for Rise. Do you want to bump Polanco for Rise? I don't think so. Um, and so I do think the only real question is, and you're going to have Buxton hit ninth because he's he's uh, a perfect guy like to hit ninth the in that perfect lineup. Perfect ninth hitter, right? Yeah. Um, and so you're it's six, seven, or eight. Those are the only spots available to him. And if you're going to do that, maybe you could justify moving him up to six. So you get a little bit more power behind him. I wonder. Um, and I let Garver and Snow try to drive him in, but like. I wonder, I'm sort of of two minds now, because for a rise, there's there's an opportunity there. On one hand, given the variability of the tool that we're talking about, this contact tool, you almost, if you are playing him, you are playing him every day, right? Because you just have to write out the variance. Um, you can't do matchups where you're like, oh, I like this guy's power from this side, and he has a favorable starting uh, pitcher matchup today. Um, but at the same time, you because of the short season, you might see some places where the lineup uh, the lineup's pretty variable for teams that have, um, I mean, a lot of depth and a lot of a lot of uh, options. Uh, the Twins may fall in that camp, and you might find some days where a rise is batting in the top one or two spots, and you may want to just take advantage of those days and ride them on those days and. Um, maybe find a more favorable power option for days that he's at the bottom of that lineup. If you remember that pretty sure the lineup page has a lineup order now, right? Batting order. So that might be like a second level platooning opportunity there that Chad, maybe we need to look at in, in the league that we have him on our roster. I think it makes sense. If he's, if he's hitting high in the lineup and he's going to get, He's the kind of guy if he's going to get five plate appearances, there's yeah. a good chance he's going to do something with like one or two of them, and so that's 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 a, that makes sense. I actually think to me, guys like that are are the perfect um, bench guys because well, there's a lot of variance in the skill. Uh, their points don't get concentrated the way power guys do, right? So, like if you look at a guy, look, look using points leagues, and this is I think true for other leagues as well, for other formats as well. But points, it's more obvious. Um, if you look at a guy who hits forty home runs in in the points leagues, that's five hundred and sixty points off home runs for a top player, like a legitimate star player. That's half their value right. uh, coming from forty home runs that are happened forty specific plate appearances on probably something like thirty five different days. And if you pick those days, you get value from them. And if you pick the wrong days and they don't hit a home run, there's a decent chance they don't do a whole lot for you. Um, and you miss out on so much of their value uh, because they're going to have 20-point games. And they're going to have negative two-point games, right? A-, a rise is the kind of guy who is probably not going to have very many 20-point games, if any. Um, but it's also very rarely going to give you a zero or a negative one or negative four. You know, certainly not, not a negative, a negative four, four, right? Yeah. And so... I actually find him to be a really useful guy. He's second base, third base, and outfield. He can sit on your bench and jump at him if he's going to lead off for a game or two here or there. Um, but if he doesn't, if he's hitting seventh, and you've got a spot you've got to fill in, you don't have to worry about his matchup. 
you can just put him into the lineup and whatever he's going to do, he's going to do. I, I just, it's not, it's not a profile I like to, to pay for when I'm building a roster. If he's there though, um, or if you get a really good value on him, I mean, I, I do think like I should, I shouldn't short sell him too much, right? He's got a, in, in the surplus calculator, the most recent version, he's got a $7 projected value. Like right. he's not nothing. I just, I don't, the thing is like, I don't see him, I don't see him as a guy who's at seven and could become worth 20. Right. I agree um, with that. I and that. I do think a guy like uh, Solak, Brandon Lowe, um, Ian Happ, like those are guys who are in that same range, but could become a $20 player. Yeah. But I think those guys could also be zero uh, below replacement. Right. Yeah. Where I think it's less, less likely that a rise is. I, I, I'm laughing because I was looking at, we're talking about him and you were mentioning, you know, He's not going to have a lot of negative fours. He's not going to have a lot of 20-point games. His last 10 MLB games last year, his most his, his last game of the season was a negative four. The one before <laughs> that was a negative five, and the one before that was 20.6. So this is how difficult it is sometimes. But yeah, I, think those, it's, it's, it, I think those are probably atypical performances for him, but but yeah. it was just funny that I was looking at his page, and, and Chad was talking about all the performances he, he, he won't have, and then those were the ones he had had most recently. <laughs> so, um, Yeah, so... I. I like a rise, I think, but you know, I think is the thing where price sensitivity, right? You don't want to be paying double digits for him. I think I don't, and I don't think anybody is. I don't think he's a guy that that has a lot of hype or helium. So, I mean, that's the good news is you can get him at a fair value. I think pretty much across the board. Well, I'll I'll, I'll throw in uh, a rise as my sleeper. What do you guys have as sleepers? Um, I had I. Chad's mentioned him a couple times, but my my non-traditional sleeper and more value is Mike Moustakis. Like he was sort of the, the last guy being mentioned in that second tier where I feel like he might be should be the first name maybe in that in that second tier behind um, Altuve, Alves, Muncy, Hura, maybe in that range. Like to me, Moustakis in that park, um, I, I think he's he's got the skills and he's not the biggest thing is he's just not getting paid like a lot of that other tier is um i pulled just fangraphs points only first year prices and his average salary was 18 dollars. but i've got him at 23 on the surplus calculator and he's the only guy in the top six or seven that is his average salary is lower than the surplus calculator value has him at so um not a sleeper necessarily but to me he's 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 the one guy in that range that i think could really be a value yeah i think uh I, I totally agree with you. And in, in, in the leagues, the three teams that I drafted myself, um, he's my starting second baseman in two of them. Because uh, I just, I think you're absolutely right. I think for some reason, um, I think people still have the sense of him being a, a bust at some level. And I'm not really sure why. Like he didn't turn into the star. I think people thought he would, but he is a really solid player. Um particularly if you're going to get second base eligibility out of him for this year and next. Because that's the uh, thing, right? Like as a third baseman, he'd be a lot less interesting, but he's yeah. not third base. He's second right. base eligible. So it's a different ball game. It's a different And they're committed to him at second, right? Like he's like, he's a second baseman. Yeah. Now. Like, yeah. Um, and that, I mean, that bad play is at second. If, if he can stick there and it yeah. seems like he's stuck there, right? He played a well, decent amount. I, yeah. 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 Like he's not. This isn't a. This isn't a gimmick. Like the guy can play second base, and 
his bat doesn't diminish, like his bat remains what his bat is. It's very compelling. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And I think, you know, Justin, to your point of looking at that that tier from, so there's the $32 Altuve, and then you go down, you've got, um, looks like about seven guys who are other guys who are above 15. And he's uh, a buck and a half less than Whit Merrifield, who's the second least expensive. Like he's almost a separate tier from the rest of them in terms of his, in terms of what people are paying for him. And I would much rather have Moustakas than Merrifield. I would much rather have him than Albies. Um, I, I'm I'm very happy to end up with Moustakas as my starting second baseman, uh, especially because I just I don't think people are making you pay for it. I don't I don't right. really know why, but I'm not yeah. gonna I'm not gonna argue with them. I'm just gonna yeah <laughs> take him, put him on my roster, and let him ride. The other sort of lower like mid mid tier sleepers that I had hadn't written down here were like Ryan McMahon and and um, Chavis and Boston, uh, those are guys that I feel like there's there's almost a little bit of post type sleeper with with those guys that they've got they've got jobs and I think the performance is 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 good um, and will be good and I think some people have moved on to other shinier targets and I think that they can be um you know have a secondary breakout and and be guys that move up into that second tier um, with a good performance this year so. Yeah, I actually yeah. think this is Niv, getting back to the league where we we have arise. Um, this is a great example of why I don't necessarily love having arise on the roster. Uh, I totally agree with you on Chavis. I think he has a ton of potential. I think he's undervalued right now by by leagues. Um, we had an opportunity to trade for him in that league uh, and chose to take a pitcher instead. Uh, we talked about in the, the starting pitcher. When we talked about we, the trade we made for Jose Urquidy. Um, Chavis was our other option there. And we chose Urquidy because we already had uh, too much depth at middle infield, basically. Um, and if I could go back and instead of having a rise on that team, have Chavis and then still be able to add Urquidy because we needed the starting pitching, like I, I would, I would do that. Um, I think, especially given we have so much depth at middle infield that I don't, I don't need a rise's floor. Uh, Chavis certainly has a lower floor than Arise. I don't think that's debatable. But like, if I'm if I'm betting on you know someone from that tier to break out, um, you know Chavis from a from a value perspective is even lower than Arise in those guys. He's down under three dollars with like Starlin Castro, um, Howie Kendrick, who I know Justin you want to talk about, uh, Rugnit Odor, Chad Pinder. Like he to me. Um, other than maybe Kendrick from a from a pure performance perspective, he's just he doesn't belong in that tier. He's, he's just much more interesting than the rest of those guys. Yeah, and just just to follow up real quick, again, I pulled average salary in first year leagues that were Fangraphs only, Fangraphs points only. And Chavis was under two dollars average salary in those leagues, and I've got him at six dollars on the surplus calc. So just the projections gives him a four dollar you know difference there, a delta. And then Ryan McMahon is a similar story where he's a little bit higher. Um, He's a just under six dollar average salary and eleven and a half dollars on the surplus calculator. So, I mean, to me that like that checks so many boxes, right? Like they're a value, which I love, but they're young as well, which is great because then you're getting that potential upside to be even beyond the projections right now, um, and and they're cheap. So it, to me, it, they're they're the guys that I want to own all day long. How confident yeah. are you in uh, McMahon's playing time? 
I, I don't know that anybody can be confident with what the Rockies are going to do with, with their playing time, especially with, with some of these younger players. But I, I'm, I'm pretty confident that he's going to be uh, a regular fixture of that lineup. So especially with, I mean, the addition of the DH helps because it gives them more flexibility to move Murphy to DH and, and sort of slot guys around. Um, roster resource has McMahon as a starting first baseman in a platoon. Um, I think that's probably right. I think he plays a lot there and then he plays a lot at second base. Um, not as much at second base, but enough um, to spell Garrett Hampson and who they have as second base right now. Um, so, I, I mean, I'm, I'm fairly confident. Yeah, he's going to be a regular. So, yeah, I tried. They have him in a platoon. It, it looks like the platoon is with Brendan Rogers, I guess. I can't really tell because they've got their platoon guys in the lineup as first baseman Ryan McMahon and left fielder Sam Hilliard. And then they're they're the bench platoon guys are Matt Kemp and Brendan Rogers. Like, I guess you could put Kemp in left field. I I would certainly prefer him at DH if I were doing something. So maybe he's platooning with McMahon and Murphy moves to first base when Kemp DHs and Hampson goes to the outfield so Rogers can play second base. Like I, I don't I don't really get what's going on there. I just uh, the Rockies just scare me with their young guys and um, the number of players. Like everyone wants to own Rockies players, roster Rockies players, because you know cores. Just because of cores, yeah. Um, yeah. And I look at that lineup and like I'm sort of intrigued by Hilliard, but I'm not really confident they're going to use him regularly. I I like David Dahl, but I keep waiting for him to opt out given his some health concerns, and so I'm, I'm hesitant on him. I worry, like, Story, Blackman, and Arenado are the other three guys who I'm confident are going to play there. And Story and Arenado, I'm very happy to roster. Um, Blackman, I worry about age. So, like, right. there's a, I just, there aren't a lot of Rockies that I just love. And, and McMahon falls into that group for me where, um, at the, uh, don't get me wrong, at the, at the price you have to pay to roster him, he's totally worth it. Um, I'm not sure he's my first choice in that, in that range, though. Yeah, I can understand that. I think there's the Rockies lineup construction has been confusing. Other than obviously the the three guys, uh, Blackman and Arenado and Story, so so there's risk there, right? And um, and and like we were talking about before, when you have certainty around four or five plate appearances a day. Like that's easier to spend money on. That's easier to spend roster spots on, and that's easier to commit to. Um, and I think some people are going to get maybe a little burned by by some Rockies this year, just on inconsistent playing time, if nothing else. Because I think I, I generally agree with you, Justin, that McMahon's skill set is compelling. It's just a question of is he going to get to play. Or is he going to be, uh, are they going to just like do a bunch of nonsense? <laughs> and the Rockies have shown a little, a recent history of doing a lot of nonsense with the non-stars. Yeah, I mean, he, he did play 141 games last year, though. So I think I, I agree with the concern overall. I absolutely do. But I think they yeah, I just are fairly the, well committed to him at this point. With the 60-game season and everything, like... Yeah. Are they going to be cute or are they going to commit? Right. And yeah, I mean, if they Maybe. commit, it could be, I mean, that that's value for sure then, right? I mean, even at the price, like we're saying, uh, like we said multiple times on these episodes, like it's price sensitivity is what defines sleepers, what defines uh, busts for us. And 
um, if you're talking about a, a $6 player that has uh, Coors upside, uh, that's that's compelling. That's undeniably yeah. compelling. I think I think the one note on his his 141 is a lot of those were pinch hit appearances. Um, I think he only started about 120, 122 maybe. I'm trying to pull up the the numbers here, but um, so he doesn't start all those games. And on a sort of plate appearance per game day, he was at about 3.8. And so that that reflects all those pinch hit appearances and stuff, I guess. Um, but it just there's a little bit of a uh, I don't know. I'm a, I, I I'm just hesitant. That's it. I'm just hesitant. And that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Um. So who do you guys have for? Or no, sorry, you have one more, Justin. You have one more. Yeah. In, in chat, already mentioned, but Howie Kendrick to me uh, for a few different reasons. Like number one. He he just he just hits and he hasn't played a lot because he's sort of that veteran mix and match, you know, first guy off the bench kind of guy for the for the Nats. Um, But he just hits. And if you look at last year among second base eligible players weighted on base, he was second behind Kettle Marte. If you want to count him as a second base eligible guy. Well, he is second base eligible, but he was second last year and you have a DH now in the NL. Ryan Zimmerman opted out. So there, there's a potential for him to have a lot more playing time or at least as much playing time as he had last year. And he was valuable even with only 370 plate appearances last year. If he gets any more than that um, and he hits anywhere near he the way he did last year, he's, he's a great guy to have. I mean, I wouldn't want him to be my starting second baseman. And I maybe even wouldn't necessarily want to count on him to be in my middle line, middle infield spot. But um, I own a lot of Howie Kendrick and, He's a great when he's starting and he's in the lineup. He's a guy I like to shift in and, and start in my auto new lineup. Yeah, roster resource shows him as their everyday DH, uh, which I, I'm I you know looking at their their bench. Um, is Drupal Cabrera is going to get playing time right? He's going to get playing time at, at second and third, and like I, I don't know, but I don't know that he gets playing time at DH, uh, and I don't think that when. Cabrera is in like maybe Keyboom gets bumped to DH occasionally to get some some rest, but I don't think they're going to move Castro there. Like that that bench is not deep. <laughs> like, yeah, I was just going to say Cabrera, it's... and then you got Kirk, Kurt Suzuki, who is like Suzuki and Gomes is a really nice catcher platoon. But then you've got Wilmer Defoe, Jake Knoll, and Andrew Stevenson as the other bench guys there. And if you start to go down and look at the rest of the player pool, like it's that not seems... like you look at the Nationals and think like man, where are they going to find room for all these guys? <laughs> that team was really interesting because that was an incredibly deep and risky take. It was like in, in February, taking Kendrick or Cabrera becomes really risky because Castro's adi- an addition and Zimmerman's still playing. And with Zimmerman opting out, you're totally right. Like it, it, Zimmerman opting out plus the DH, like that's two things, right? That's two, literally two positions opening up. And Kendrick goes from being a $1 flyer to being a everyday, maybe an everyday player, like maybe not everyday because he's a little older, but I, I think he might, might be pretty close. Cause the other thing is, is like Thames is at first base, but he's, there's no way he plays against most lefties. So, and, and how he has the platoons, the, the platoon advantage against left-handers. So he could play first base on days that Thames is on the bench. Right. So you're, you, it, that team is so interesting because I think, you know, the thing you said, Chad, wasn't true in February when we drafted and is absolutely true now. Like right. this team was very deep and 
really well positioned for a deep run again. And now, I mean, Zimmerman leaving and the DH opening up uh, gives these guys who were going to be bench bats that were like made that team look really fun uh, into like regular players, which again, the depth plays for them in a sense, like Howie Kendrick as your DH option uh, in a found DH position is better than a lot of national league teams. But, uh, but right. Like the, the nationals choices became clearer, right? We don't have to worry so much about, there's less questions, I guess, about what is going to happen in Washington uh, in terms of, in terms of who gets playing time. Then there yeah. were when we when we did our auction draft in on leap day this year, right? So and and like looking at the depth chart projections, they've got Howie with forty eight games played at a three forty eight weighted on base. That puts him at sixth overall among second base eligible guys. That's that's pretty good. With with just a little slightly less playing time than a lot of the other guys around him in that range. So I mean that's that's a little bit above Hura. Um, and McNeil. So, I mean, I where do you guys that, have him going in in like recent um, recent ads? I'll, I'll, I'll uh, see if I can have pull that it up. up. He was three dollars in first year leagues, but I think most of that was, you know, before these changes that would have bumped up his value. Um, I'd have to I'd have to look it up, but yeah, I have the last so, ten four bucks. Like yeah, so he, so he dollar maybe for, a dollar bump, but. Yeah, he went for $4 in the league that we just drafted a couple weeks ago, Justin. Mm-hmm. Um, and his last 10 ads, his last 10 ads across all leagues, according to his player page, says 250 Yeah, and it's only 280 in Fangraphs points. Yeah, that's crazy. That's, that's crazy. still too low. Four by yeah. four. Um, yeah, I I agree. I'm, I'm sort of... I'm sort of surprised. I I, th- I feel like I missed him a little bit, though, and I wonder if others did too. That I think I was in this like, man, the Nats all of a sudden have all these middle infielders and first base is taken up, and there's yeah, no I DH mean, in the it, NL, and then all of a sudden it sneaks like, up on you, it, right? Yeah. And that's one of the things you just have to track track this year, especially like Zerman opting out and the DH being added completely changed the playing time situation in Washington, and um, and and yeah, and I mean. I, I realize my sheet's probably a couple weeks old, so where I have the four bucks. So that means like he's he's getting one dollar flyers in some leagues right now, and like, boy, that doesn't sound so bad. Yeah. Um, especially given a, a lot of uncertainty in the overall position. Yeah, and I think if you, if you look at at Kendrick, he is in terms of average value, he's basically the twenty first second baseman off the board. I think he's way better than that. There is there are twelve second basemen who have average values between two and three dollars uh we've already talked about chavis we've now talked about kendrick um i think there's a couple other names in there that are that are sort of interesting um i think uh you know colton wong was was better last year than he has been and there's some some prospect pedigree there that i'm curious about um you had a really interesting guy in Austin Nola with Seattle, who I don't think is a particularly great player, but he's catcher and second base eligible. Um, and I think there's some, I'm curious to see what he's capable of. Um, but the guy in that group that I really like, uh, who we haven't talked about yet, is uh, Jonathan Scope, um, who I think uh, gets a little bit ignored, partially because he tends to be a, a low uh, on base guy. Um, he had that one sort of breakout year in 2017 at 25 years old, and he's never really repeated the on-base from that year. The, really, the BAPIP from that year is what, what drove it. Um, 
but he's a really solid player and he's going to get hit for power. He's he only played 121 games last year with the Twins because there's just so much talent there. Like he's going to play every day with the Tigers. Tigers have nobody else. Uh, and so I, I think he's a guy who um, is a little bit undervalued in terms of what he's what he's capable of doing. Yeah, and actually, just to add like to that a... from a depth chart or from the the depth charts projections that you're using in surplus calculator, Justin, he shows up as an eight dollar and fifty cent value that you can get for two bucks. Yep. Yeah, and it, I don't think it's exciting, but it's. I mean, like you said, he's he's going to play and he's going to play a lot. And I mean, it's production. It's pr- production. I mean, if there's any if there's any uh, recurring theme here, it's excitement is overrated, right? Like, <laughs> like you it want, is you, I, not because we don't like being excited, but exciting exciting players come with a premium, right? Like, because everybody wants exciting players, right? Um, yeah, that's a great call out, Scoot. Yeah, and I think I, it's interesting. The excitement piece is so. Going back to the top of the second base chart, and I was saying how I don't love paying full retail for Altuve, um, but I think part of the reason I keep ending up with like Moustakis or the one league where I didn't draft him, I have Eduardo Escobar as my starting second baseman, is I think there's a lot of like, wow, what could Albies do? He's still young. Oh man, here is this huge prospect. I can't wait to see what he's going to do. Um, and I do think you you are you are right. You're absolutely right. You're paying for excitement, and I think it's true at this position more than the others. Um, not because, like, I think people pay for excitement everywhere, but there's, there's a just a lack dearth. of established studs right. at the position, and because We're, of that, yeah, it's what we talked about in the shortstop is that we have actually a tremendous number of shortstops right now, and second base is just now like. We're seeing the decline of the guys who were the golden era for us for a little while, right? Like the Canoes and, uh, I don't know, Kipnis kind of. Like, I don't know. There's some older second basemen out there who, or, or guys who, who, you know, aren't in the league anymore. And, uh, yeah, I think, like, this is a this is a trap. You can fall into a trap of saying, Albies, here, uh, I'm going to pay for you because I believe you could become Cano. Um, and give me that kind of production, but but maybe the play is, and you know, we're gonna I, we can maybe talk about strategy for a little bit here, but like maybe the play is to I, the way I'm approaching second base is is piecemeal, right? Like um, I have Gavin Lux, and that's because Gavin Lux has been on my team for a couple years now, so I have him at a at a ten dollar price point, which I think is about right, and we got a sink or swim this year. But, you know, I got a Zrubal Cabrera down there. I have a few other middle infield options. Like, it's a, for me, middle infield, and I talked about this with shortstop too, it's, it's a build what you can build and don't let it sink your team. And, and you really, it's either you're paying for Altuve, you're paying for a hyped Albies, or you're trying to piece together the sleepers that we mentioned or that you guys pulled together and, and try to construct a 60-game second baseman and i think that's probably the latter is probably like a better use of of money and roster spots than than committing whole hog to albies or something like that yeah and i'm just looking at my leagues like i have across five leagues i'm in you got 15 total middle infield spots and i look at just the guys i'm expecting to start i'm only starting four total second basemen um in in one of those leagues my star the the one where that that Niv and I are co-managing our starting second baseman is Cattell Marte, who qualifies at shortstop. And I tend to think of 
you know, that shortstop second base eligible is, is shortstop being where to use him. I'm not sure it's true right now. Um, just because second base is not that exciting to me. And so I'm happy to own three shortstops and start one of them at second base if they're eligible. And that's what's happening there. Um, but I'm getting a lot of depth plays from my second baseman, right? And so I think there's a bunch of these guys that we've talked about. Um, even though it's not, a, I'm not a huge favorite of him, I think a rise makes sense as a depth play. Um, I've got Wong in one or two places. I've got Chavis in one or two places. I really like Brandon Lowe. Um, I've got, uh, like, I, I like, I actually don't have any Ian Happ because I think he's ended up in my league's been more expensive than what these average values suggest. But I, I think he makes sense in that space. Howie Kendrick makes sense. Like, in some regards, it's almost like the ideal way to build a middle infield is to get two or three top shortstops to for your starting lineup and then get your depth from the second base position because there's a bunch of that, interesting values at second base. And and that's what a lot of my teams look like. I'm, I'm looking at some of them right now and a lot of them, and even the guys that I have slotted in at second base, they're second base and shortstop eligible combination. So as a pure second baseman, like I own some Chavis and some Kendrick and um, a couple of these other mid-tier names that we've talked about, but yeah, I, I'm with I'm with Niv. It's for me, it's a mix and match piecemeal approach. It's it's depth over quality. I'm not really chasing any any you know studs at the position. I just I'm not interested really at that at that upper tier um, outside of Mustakis. But again, only because I think he's going at at a good price. Um, and and I think you can you can make that work. I mean, there's not. I don't think the depth is is great at second base, especially compared with shortstop. But because there are so many of those other guys that have that dual eligibility, second base and shortstop both. Um, I mean, there are some teams I have where I don't have anybody that's only second base eligibility. If it's just a team full of shortstops and, and shortstop slash second base. Right. And if we're talking about shortstop being deep, which I think we talked about in the, in the shortstop episode, like maybe yeah, you sense. shift. You know, I mean, we, we're late. We moved Marte over. Like there, there's a lot of, a lot of options other than fully committing to the position. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering as we talk through this if in my drafts I, um, I don't know if it's overthinking or underthinking, but was like, well, I need to have second baseman, and so I'm like, who if I'm gonna have to draft second baseman because it's a, it's a position you got to play a second baseman. Who am I gonna draft? And didn't allow myself the flexibility to say, forget it. I'm gonna have five shortstops. Two of them are going to qualify at second base, but I'm just going to have five shortstops, and that's that. Right. Um, I don't think, and like, that's like, an, yeah, go on, Dave. Well, I was just going to say that's like uh, that's not like super uh, intuitive because we always think of shortstop as being the most difficult position, right? To find people who can hit and also stick at shortstop, and um, right now that's not true, right? Uh, organizations are letting guys stick at shortstop a little longer, and. Uh, a lot of guys who may have turned into second base in years past are just staying a shortstop. And, you know, that's a testament to to player development. It's a testament to these players, obviously. But you maybe don't want to, you maybe now want to start flipping shortstop and second base, like given the current landscape of the players that are eligible at both, and start thinking of second base as that found eligibility that you want to sl- slap anyone into. Rather than in the past, you may I, I certainly used to think of shortstop as that position where if somebody snagged a few games at short and wasn't necessarily a good enough glove to stick there, but had the shortstop eligibility, that was that was enough for me. Like I would draft any position and just sort of mix and match into shortstop, even if that's not how they're used in real life. And 
it seems like second base is that position now. I, I, I think shortstop eligibility is still more important, but I think the difference is just a lot less than it used to be. I mean, the, the, there's just not the delta between the two that there might have been even three or four years ago. So. I mean, last year, what uh, I was reading on Fangraphs, like last year, shortstops out hit second baseman for the first time. Yeah, I believe in that. in a in a long time, as you might imagine. Right. So I think one thing I, I want to address uh, from a strategy perspective, and I think um, in my head, this has been sort of the elephant in the room during this conversation because I just made this trade a couple days ago, and it's in the league that Justin's in. Uh, I made a trade to acquire a $33, I think, Altuve. Um, and I spent all this time talking about how I, like, I guess he's the top guy. I don't really want to pay for him. I think the price is too high. Um, I think one of the things that's important to remember, this sort of a general strategic point, this doesn't have to do with Altuve specifically, but once the draft is over, um, a lot of that stuff goes out the window, right? Because with loans and, and different thoughts about near term and short term, like it, it, it isn't the same. And so I, I am like that is an Altuve who, from a salary perspective, he is yeah, he is thirty three dollars. He is full retail. He is more expensive than I am comfortable paying at an auction for Altuve for sure. Um, but in the trade I made, uh, the, the trade was uh, my eleven dollar Julio Urias and $26 Reese Hoskins for the $33 Altuve and a $14 Lance McCullers. Um, and when I made that deal, I basically looked at it as like, I don't think Hoskins is the number one first baseman. I am moving value from first base where I also had Anthony Rizzo and Luke Voigt, and I've got Ioannis Cespedes as a util. Um, I'm moving value from a, that deep position for me to a position where I felt less strong at middle infield. Uh, and the fact that it's, an, uh, in my mind, a salary overpay for Altuve doesn't matter. That wasn't the point of the deal. Now, you have to balance that in a trade and make sure you're not just giving up a ton of long-term value for a guy who's a rental. Um, there was a little, like, I feel like I gave up a little long-term value there. But what I got back was I probably wasn't going to keep Hoskins anyways. He was, he was trade bait for me at some point. Um, Altuve is going to be around for the year and is going to give me, I think, great value at second base. Like, even if he isn't the top second baseman, he's going to do well and he's going to have a good season. I'm going to get good value out of him there. Um, and so a lot of this, when I talk about like, oh, I don't want to pay full retail for this guy. I don't want to go to the the top of the price. I think the average value is too high. Like a lot of that goes out the door once the auction's over because you're just your, not paying the same way. The your, avenues, your avenues for player acquisition are reduced, right? I mean, it, uh the beauty of the auction draft is that it's a free. It's it's. There's no limitation to who you can add, other than how much money you have available and what your roster spots are, and what you're willing to pay. So then, when we talk about paying retail or what your strategy is, like all of that's built around the idea that uh, in the auction draft you have the freedom to you have the freedom to make those choices, right? Um, once the season, once that auction draft is over. If you have a gaping hole at middle infield, like what are you going to fill it with, right? And like I can only imagine what the waiver wire looks like in that league, like what the the top free agents available with second base eligibility look like. None of them are Altuve, I'll tell you that much. Like uh, there might be a couple sleepers in there that are worth uh, a couple dollar flyers that we've you know mentioned, but you're not getting Albie's production off that off a waiver wire. You're not getting. Uh, Mustakas off a waiver wire. Uh, it sounds like you may not even be able to get a Kendrick off the waiver wire if if you're in a more competitive league. So, like when we're talking about this stuff, you really have to th- consider the difference between if you're pre-draft or if you're post-draft. And if you're post-draft, 
uh, and you have a gaping hole at second base and you have three major league first basemen, uh, to me, that makes a lot of sense, right? And the other quick point that I want to make is that at an auction, everyone's placing bids and they're placing bids with their with their cap space and everyone values the cap space the same way right a dollar is a dollar but if nivs make you know if chad's making a trade and he doesn't like the players necessarily as much that he's giving away as as the guy he's trading with does he's not he's not trading for altuve at the same price that he would go at auction. You you could get a discount on him on, in the sense that you're trading away players you don't value as highly. You're selling them for a premium, and then you're you're getting a discount in purchasing Altuve. Like a, a that dollar way. a dollar is a dollar, but Reese Hoskins isn't Reese Hoskins. Not to everybody, right, right? Exactly. Or 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 you know you could trade a Fernando Tatis for for an you know a certain value, nebulous value that's greater than than you think he's worth, and you're getting profit that way. So yeah, but I, I think. Yeah, and it's I, you also have the like with loans factored. It's like I I invested at the right. auction thirty seven dollars between Hoskins and Urias, or the two guys I traded away. The two guys I got back are costing uh forty seven dollars, right? So they technically take up ten more dollars of of salary, but there was a loan that came with them, and so really I've only invested. I effectively invested $26 in Altuve and $11 in McCullers because that's what I put onto Hoskins and Urias before I traded them. And at $26, I'm very happy to own Altuve. Then all of a sudden, he's being paid as the top of that top tier, not a tier unto himself. That makes total sense. Now, next year, right, we're going to get to January, and I'm going to look at his value. Right. Like then- $35 for Altuve. I didn't even want to pay $30 for him last year. Why right. do I have it $35? And I, he's going to be gone. Um that's the trade-off I had to make, right? That's that's effectively what I gave up in this deal. Is that I think had I kept had I kept Hoskins, I think looking at him at 28 next year, there's a real good chance I'd been like, you know what? He's got another year in him at this price. I, I'm pretty happy with this. Um, that I doubt happens with Altuve. Um, right, your uncertainty there has gone up uh, for yeah. future, for the future. But you know, this is the first year of this league, and it's uh it's the craziest season that's ever happened and flags fly forever. So, you know, you go for let's it, do it. I want to be the guy who won the 2020 edition of this thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's only one first flag, even if it's a weird season. Yeah. Well, you, you, you might win, but it's only because half my team is, uh, is on the IL right now. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure my team's headed there, but anyways, we talked a lot about, um, Altuve not being sort of worth what he's paid. Are there any, busts beyond that is there anyone like is there anyone else that you're like i just because i don't th- I, I, altuve is kind of a bust in that perspective you spend 32 33 dollars wherever he's going from our prime, from our price sensitive uh right that yeah. conversation he's a he's a value bust at some level yeah, yeah. Is there, are there any is there anyone here that you look at you're like i'm just staying away i i, I had albies and merrifield written down we already kind of talked about both of them but for similar reasons to altuve where it's just it's not that I don't think that they're they're good second basemen. I just don't think they're they're worth what they're being paid. And I think that um, there's some more risk, especially with Albies, um, and and I guess in a sense to Merrifield as well, that some of their performance could crater, and it's not really being priced in. Um, the other guy, and again, this isn't a traditional bust, but the other guy I have listed here is Shed Long, and he's going for. Let me see where it is. I mean, he's a $3 guy, which I know is not very much money. And almost anybody could be worth spending $3 on. It's not a big outlay. 
but I just don't see that he's worth that in any sense, in any possible format, and in, in, in any way this year. Um, three or four dollar investment for a guy that I just don't, I don't think it's worth even when there's so many other names that we could talk about. I mean, he's going for the same price as Howie Kendrick, um, which probably isn't a fair comparison. But even like Starlin Castro, a guy like Starlin Castro is going for the same range. I'd much rather own Starlin Castro than than Chad Long. Um, for for that three dollar outlay. Yeah, for me, I think we, we sort of talked about it. The position is is shallow. I think like down at the bottom. I think Justin brings up a great point. You can fall into traps, so don't don't fall into traps and spend money unnecessarily just trying to find second baseman. But like, it's almost a position where, uh, short of Altuve, who could even be considered like. You're not spending enough money for anyone to be a real, real high risk bust in my mind, um, unless you like spend a little more in retail on Albies or on, um, you know, I think the Merrifield point is a good one. But when you're talking about like the way we were talking about constructing it from the strategy perspective, um, I don't think there's a lot of, I mean, I, I think everyone's sort of in the same boat, and there's not a lot of mis- like out, out and out mistakes to be made now. I'm going to bait you on this one, Justin. You want to talk about Luis Arias now? Like, do we want to talk we, about? Yeah, I mean, we could. I, I, I think I was distracted, obviously, in that other conversation. But for me, I mean, he's he's kind of like Shed Long, right? Where there's there's a lot to dream on, um, and and I get it. But there's compelling alternatives at that price that I, I I'm just more interested in. And for me, Luis Arias is a guy who is similar to Arias in that he's a, he's a ostensibly a high contact guy. Um, but what I was, the point I was making before is that he hasn't even shown that the only skill he's really supposed to have, he hasn't even shown in his limited major league time. So yeah, I'm so not super that, in love with spending uh, the $6 or $5 or whatever you have to spend to get. Um, no, the thing he's say? done that, that Arias hasn't done is he has shown at least flashes of power in the minors. Right, and so you've got this interesting thing where they they have somewhat similar skill sets. I think Arise has a more extreme version of it, um, but Arise, like maybe he develops power, maybe it shows up at some point, but there's no evidence that it's coming. Um, I don't think, to be, to be honest, I don't think Urias develops that power either, but he's shown it in flashes in the minors where you could sort of squint and go, okay, things break the right right way. And like, I mean, look, Niv and I are both Indians fans. We watched Lindor and Jose Ramirez come up and, and, you know, uh, worried about whether or not they would, you know, could they get to double digits or, you know, maybe they'll get to 20 where's runs. The power, where's the power going to come from? <laughs> right. And then and all of a sudden, out- yeah, they're fine. And <laughs> they, they figured that out. Right. It's like, could that happen? And I think when I look at at, at Arise and Urias, I think the, the difference to me between the two, the other difference, other than what you're talking about, Justin, which I think is an important one, like Arise, the floor is much better because he's shown he can do it at the major league level. Urias, I think the ceiling is higher because I don't see Arise developing that power. I don't think it happens for him. And Urias, I at least can yeah, squint but, I mean, to see it. Arise doesn't have to be Tony Gwynn, but Urias is not going to be Frankie Lindor, man. I mean, like that's like... It's asking a lot of that player to develop into literally the best in that position. And I think, yeah, you're right. People can squint and get excited by it. But but I don't know. I'm not spending someone else's $6. And, and, and my, right could now. he become Jeff McNeil? 
I mean, my, my counter argument here is that to me, it, I would be much more willing to place a bet on a player who already has strong place plate yeah. discipline skills, gaining power than I am someone who has middling average power, but is lacking plate discipline skills, gaining that contact skill. Like, he, Urias has shown the contact skill in the minors, but he hasn't yet in the majors. I mean, I, I, I at this point, like, I, can he cut his contact and you know his, his strikeout rate in half? I mean, I don't know. He'd almost have to for him to be interesting enough to even approach Urias's Urias's level. I, I don't think that's. I don't think that's true. I mean, you look at his minor league numbers. His major league strikeout rate is his career major league. Walk and strikeout rate are 9.3% walk rate, 21.9% strikeout rate. In in AAA, his last two stints in AAA were 10.6% walks, 18.3% strikeout, and 12.6% walk, 20.5% strikeout. Like he, he's he's what he's struggling with at the major league level is his BABIP. He's not putting the ball in. He, he's putting the ball in play as much as he does in the minors. It's just not getting down. And maybe that's because he doesn't hit the ball hard enough. Maybe he's not hitting it well. Or maybe it's just because he's only had 300 plate appearances. Um, but it's not his, his. He actually like his plate discipline has translated really well. I think as he's moved up. Um, if again, like looking at his, if you look at just last year where he happened to he happened to basically split the season, seventy three games, three hundred thirty nine plate appearances at AAA, seventy one games, two hundred forty nine plate appearances in the majors. His walk rate fell by zero point six percent from ten point six to ten point zero. His and his strikeout rate went up. It went from eighteen point three to twenty two point five. But like it's it's going to go up. And so does he? Could he? Would it help if he cut it down to twenty instead of twenty two? Sure. But I don't think you're talking about a guy who has to who has to cut it in half. He needs the ball to find the ground. It just hasn't done that for him uh, at all. Um, and the other big difference is the you know last year he d- drove a 22 over 22 percent home run per fly ball rate in AAA, and that was where he started to flash that power that he hadn't before. He needs to do that. Like right. if he can bring his home run per fly ball rate up from the eight percent it's been in in you know last year in the majors to. 12 and he can bring the strikeout rate from 22 to 20 um and then the BAPIP goes up to you know he, he's been at 216 and 284 271 overall in his major league experience he's a guy who's going to have to run a 320 330 BAPIP he's more than capable of doing that like those are the things that have to fall into place for him I don't think any of those are drastic changes I don't know if he makes them and I don't have yeah, a share you, of him on any of my I, rosters you but, can say none of them are drastic changes but you just listed six different things <laughs> that need to change right and like even if all of them are minor like that, that's that's not like uh incremental i think i know a lot of those things are tied together yeah but but that's a lot of things that need to like go right for him to be where like where he can be hyped to be right where like yeah without without looking i i missed that 285 iso in AAA last year i did not realize that he he had flashed that much power so i i'm i I might walk walk some of that back a little bit I, i guess i just didn't have awareness to to how much power he did show last year. I mean, we've, we've had, you know, we've had some, some buzz from him before that he was flashing power, but it was like a 151 ISO in 2018 at AAA. Like that's not really flashing power, but 285 certainly is. He was on a 40 home run pace. Right. Now, some was, of that's also the, the bouncy ball f- that they were using in AAA that was, oh. but that's the major league ball. So, right. <laughs> and if he, and if that 40 home run pace for, for a guy like Urias, if his, if his 
contact skills and the bat pip start to translate, a 40 home run pace that gets cut in half in the majors is plenty. Yeah. He doesn't need to hit 30. He needs 15 to 20 um, if he can get on base. And that's that's not going to make him a star, but it's going to make him really useful. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know if he gets there, but I don't know. I Yeah. I don't yeah, know. it feels like you're already. It feels like right now you're already paying for that player that you just described, Chad. Like the optimistic but still achievable version of him. That's already the price, I think. And um, you know, that's that's sort of why I I brought him up in this like this part of the conversation. Like I think you you might see some post hype on him next year. Yeah. Um, and then and then this conversation looks a little silly, but. Or you know, or it looks really silly because he does translate and and add all these skills that, and and yeah. he's and he has shown that context. Like I I was I was alluding to it before, but like his minor league career, he's at a at twelve point seven percent strikeout rate. I think it is. So, right. If he if he made any gains towards that number, um, with a ten percent walk rate, and then any amount yeah, of I mean, power dropping- that that he was starting to show last year. Yeah, he he becomes a lot more compelling. Dropping the strikeout rate uh, is, I think, the first step, right? So, track him in your leagues this year. But uh, you know, I I I think right now where he's sitting, you're paying for an optimistic outcome. Um, but yeah, let's be optimists. I don't know. Let's see. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna be a, a slightly contrarian and just say I don't think dropping the strikeout rate is what matters. I think it's the the. Um, the, the power last year in AAA seemed to come at the expense of strikeout rate. I think he made a conscious decision there to to hit the ball harder and to to you know swing out of his shoes a little bit if that's what it took. Um, and I think if he can, he doesn't have to get to that twelve percent. Like I said, he's a twenty-two. First of all, I think he could be successful at a twenty-two percent like he was last year. Um, if he could get it down to twenty, I think that'd be great. I, I don't I don't think that he should be focused on that though. I think he needs to be focused on hitting the ball hard at the right launch angles. Um, I think if he does that, the bat pip will come back a little bit. He'll get that home run per fly ball rate up. And I think that's what he needs to focus on more than the strikeout rate. I think he's he's so naturally gifted at at contact that he can afford to not focus on it and still be good enough. And I think he doesn't have enough natural power to not put the focus there. The, the only part about that, though, that I that I don't like is that somebody who who has been hyped as as such a naturally gifted contact guy can run a 22.5% you know K rate for for 249 plate appearances. It just that's one of those things that becomes stable more quickly, and it's just bizarre to me that. And maybe you're right. Maybe he was selling out a little bit after after his AAA performance, and it hurt him. Um, but I guess that's my point is that that's why I feel like he's going to need that contact rate to come down. And, and, you know, sort of meet in the middle, right? Like hold on to some of those power gains, but also get back to doing what what he was doing that, that has actually led to his success in the minor leagues. He didn't have power while running a pretty good WRC plus. It was contact and plate discipline skills. So so speaking of guys having success in the minor leagues, uh, we, we've, we've gone sort of long here, but we should talk prospects before we sign off. Um, and speaking of guys who have, Absolutely no power, but supposedly great <laughs> hit tools. Uh, Madrigal. <laughs> he, he is the second base prospect worth talking about, I think. I mean, often second basemen come from, you know, failed shortstop prospects or moved shortstop prospects would be a better way to put it. Um, 
but but Madrigal's clearly the guy at the top there. Uh, I am I'm not a fan. I I I don't I, I am not rostering him anywhere, and that is unlikely to change for a long time. I mean, am I am I crazy to think that he is basically just a prospect version of Arise, but with way more hot hype than Arise ever had? Like, yes, the the contact is is even more elite than Arise, probably, but. You got to hit for some power and or I, I mean, I, a five by five see. league with steals like it's a different story. But in Fangrass points or four by four, I, he's he's a guy who, yeah, I'd be interested in him. But he's going for what is what is his first year price is six dollars or something for four dollars. But in Fangrass points, but I think in across the board, he's even higher than that because it's of actually the, it's because, four there, too. Oh, is it? Wow, I'm yeah. surprised it's not higher in 5x5. Five five. I would be interested in him quite a bit in 5x5. Five five. Um, but in the other three formats, I'd yeah, take a I, flyer on him at a good price. But I think the thing is, like, I look at his minor league success, and he's running these, like, you know, last year across three levels, he ran uh, 7.8, 7.8, and 9.7% walk rates, well, with 2.8, 2.8, and 3.7% strikeout rates. Like, I don't see how that's possible for him in the majors because they're going to challenge him. They're going to be like, okay, dude, let's see if you can get it out of the infield with all that muscle, right? And they're going to come after him. And like, how is he going to walk almost 10% of the time when there is no reason for anybody to ever throw him a pitch outside the strike zone? Now, guys miss, right? I mean, like that that happens. And so he'll walk sometimes. But like, I I just think we're going to see pitchers absolutely come after him and say like, look, if you hit a single, you hit a single. I'll live with that. Um, right. And if that walk rate comes down, and he doesn't hit for more power to bring it back up, like I, I don't know. I he might be a very useful major league player for a long time because, like, if you can find a way to put the ball in play and run a high bat pip and play some pretty good defense and run the bases, like you can be a valuable player. But like, man, I do not see the upside. I. I yeah, well, here, here's another here, here's another comp that's probably gonna get Niv excited. But is he is he Asadio? Is it is he an infield version of Asadio with a little yeah. bit with with obviously quite a bit more speed, but but maybe not as much power and a little bit higher walk rate. I think with with Madrigal, you could project him to because Asadio is like a three percent walk rate and a three percent strike rate strikeout rate. But right. um, but like Asadio had 15 home runs across two levels in 2018 and 11 across two also gives last you, year. Also like, gives you like 14 different positions, right? Like yeah, and and yeah, if you had to, if you, if I have to roster one of them, I think I already have made that decision and that I rostered Asadio. But um, yeah, I think you guys are right. I think like it's it's not a super exciting. He's not a particularly exciting prospect to me either, um, just because of the skill set, like. Um, that might change because with young young players, that stuff can change. But like, but there's so also there any, arguments there to be made that base? like he is what he is, right? So, are there any second base prospects who are exciting? Well, like I don't know. Does Lux count? Like Lux, I'm excited we're, we're about Lux. It. Are we getting into this again? Where, where are we talk about? Well, no, no, not not. Well, he's count. We talked about him at length yeah, at the yeah. shorts episode, and I guess I have to concede the point that he's a prospect, but. Um, but this is one of those things again. Strategically, he might be useful as a second yeah. base prospect, yeah. like conveniently. But if okay, so like if we limit it to just to minor leaguers, guys that haven't debuted yet, like I don't know that there yeah, is I anybody. No, I mean, I wrote down Hassan Diaz, but I don't even really feel strongly about that. And 
All right, we had a little quick uh, disconnection there, so we're, we're, we're picking up back where we were. Um, if there's any jarring transitions, we apologize. But um, I had mentioned Asan Diaz as a guy who I, I thought maybe as a minor leaguer, second baseman, like he's the one prospect I wrote down, but even that I, I don't feel strongly about. I, I'm not sure what other names might might exist. Yeah, I'm um, trying to think through our league uh, in League One. I don't, I, I can't think I mean, of a single one who's being I, rostered. I mean, you have Vidal Brujan. Yeah, I was going to say comes up, but like Brujan is like he's got a little bit more. He he's demonstrated a little bit more power than Madrigal, but uh, like he seems like he's sort of a poor man's Madrigal, and I'm not excited about Madrigal. So like I don't I don't really see that. I think um, there's some guys maybe further off like. Yeah, name I put down Aaron Bracco, who's a, a prospect in the Indian system, who um, just reminds me of some of the middle infielders the Indians have had success with in the past, and in, in helping them sort of turn contact skills into uh, more valuable power skills and stuff like that. But like, I'm not I'm not rostering him anywhere yet. Uh, maybe if I'm in a five MILB league, I might consider him as a late pick. But even that, I don't think he really rises that level. He's more sort of a watch and see. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think part of this is like, if you're really that good a second base prospect, you're probably not a second base prospect. You're probably yeah. a shortstop prospect. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So I think it's, it's always a pretty weak position traditionally in prospect circles for that very reason. And I mean, Madrigal is interesting, I guess, but not not to the same level as almost any other top positional prospect is. So, all right, I think um, we we will we will call it there. I think we covered. I think that's for the best. <laughs> more than we met, and we just had a, a technical glitch that I may have to spend a lot of time editing. So, um, thanks for everybody who who takes the time to listen to these, and we will pick up again. I think we have outfield yet to do. And then uh, we'll, we plan on getting a relief pitcher episode out as well and hopefully getting both of those up before the season kicks off uh, next week. So, all right, guys, have a good one. 